Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to continue our focus on sparkling wine, and champagne in particular, by looking at the different champagne producers, some of the biggest and most famous names in the world of wine. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, Champagne is a very fragmented region. There are nearly 16,000 growers in Champagne, and they own 90% of the vineyards. There are around 350 houses, or Champagne producers, and they own 10% of the vineyards, and account for 69% of sales. That's quite a contrast between the land that they own and the wine that they sell, and likewise with the growers, owning a lot of land, but selling very little wine. And so the growers and the producers rely on each other. The growers need the producers to sell the grapes to, the houses need the growers to buy grapes from. A grower is called a recolton, and they uh, sell their grapes. A merchant is called a negocion, who buys grapes or buys wine. And a co-op is called a cooperative in French. And they, um, similar to a negocion, buy grapes or buy wines, but they're doing so from the members of their organisation. So they all work alongside each other, and there is an overlap, and you'll see different terms on a label to explain who exactly has made the wine. So the term negocion manipulon, shortened to NM, is basically a champagne producer, a negocion who buys grapes, and manipulon who produces wine. Recolton manipulon is a grower producer, there's over 2,000 of these, and the number of them has increased over the years, as growers have had greater access to export markets and also better technology. They're extremely fashionable. Um, there is an inconsistency in quality. I think the grower producers that you see outside of France are generally very high quality, like Jacasson or Agrippar or Vilmar or Pierre Petter. Um, but within France itself, the quality is not quite as high. Société de Récolton refers to growers who share a winery and make wine together. Cooperative Manipulon is a co-op that's making wine, uh, so they're getting their grapes, maybe even some wine from their growers, and then making the wine themselves and selling it under their own label. The most famous of these is Nicolas Ferriat, who um, is the third biggest producer in Champagne, so very large. Recolton Cooperative is a grower who gives the grapes to the cooperative, the cooperative makes the wine, and then gives the wine back to the uh, grower who sells under his own, his or her own label. It could be as simple as that, it could be more complicated where it's simply a case that they're selling grapes to the co-op, the co-op makes some wine and gives them the wine back, it may be from the uh, grower's own grapes or from different grapes or a mix, depends how uh, vigilant they're being. Then uh, two terms for producers who don't actually make wine. Negocion distributeur is like a broker. They're basically ba- buying wine and selling wine. And then a marque d'acheteur means the buyer's brand. And so this is a brand owned by a retailer or a restaurant and sold under their own name. And so they're commissioning someone to make wine for them and then selling it under their own label. Champagne these days is very consolidated, and there's some big organizations owning the most famous wineries. So LVMH is Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton, uh, one of the big luxury brands of the world. And we have to remember that Champagne is a luxury brand in essence, something that is very expensive and associated with high quality and high taste and money. Uh, So LVMH own Moet Chandon, Veuve Clicquot, Krug, Ruinard, and also Mercier. Lanson BCC own Boiselle, Lanson and Philippina. 
Laurent Perrier have their own uh, winery and also own Salon and Delamotte. So Salon is a very prestigious wine, only made in the most exclusive years, 100% Chardonnay from one vineyard. Extremely expensive. Delamotte is associated with Salon because basically they have access to the same uh, vineyard. But Delamotte is a non-vintage wine made consistently, but with access to these grapes on a consistent basis. It's a really good uh, non-vintage champagne. Pernod Ricard, the big drinks giant, own Mum and Perrier Jouet. In Champagne, Brut non-vintage accounts for 80% of all uh, Champagne sold, so extremely important. And this is the style of wine, which is the introduction to all the big brands. It's got to be consistent in quality and consistent in style so that the consumer knows exactly what they're getting. So let's look at the big producers. These are called the Grand Marque, so big brand, literally. Producers who are historic, going back to the 1700s, and who have a, a brand presence around the world. People immediately know who that producer is. They recognize the name, like Moati Chandon, or Bollinger, or Krug. Even if you're not a champagne connoisseur, you know those producers. There are 24 uh, labels considered Grand Marc. The last one to be introduced was Gosset in 1992. But then in the 1990s, there was a controversy and disagreement over exactly what a Grand Marc was, what the rules and regulations and criteria for being a Grand Marc should be, and the whole thing just disbanded as no one could actually agree what they, what they should be. So the Grand Marc term is not an official one, but people still use it to refer to the most famous producers, and there are 24 of them. So let's go through uh, some of those. So the biggest by far is Moet et Chandon. They produce two and a half million cases of wine a year. They own 1,200 hectares of land, which makes them one of the largest uh, landowners in uh, Champagne. They're part of the LVMH group, as I mentioned, based in Epinay, along the uh, Champagne Mile. They also own other producers, which are much more serious in style, such as Krug and Ruinard. Their own style is uh, consistent and good, but not that exciting. Their brut is called Imperial. They use lots of reserve wines for it, for the consistency. They use malolactic fermentation, and this is common throughout Champagne, converting the tart malic acids into creamier lactic acids that you find in dairy products. And although um, malolactic fermentation is not necessarily noticeable in Champagne, because the acidity is so high, and you also have the bubbles, it does add a bit of a creamier texture and a richer style to the Champagne. Moët Chandon do not use any oak, and the style can be a little bit reductive. And the Imperial is Pinot dominant. They also own Don Perignon, which is one of the most famous names and famous wines of Champagne. And this is considered an autonomous product. Um, it's much higher in quality than the rest of Moët Chandon, so it's considered its own thing. Don Perignon is, of course, considered the founding father of Champagne. A lot of mythology attached to him, but he did introduce blending, blending different vineyards, different villages, but also different vintages, which is integral to the style and success of Champagne, and also gently pressing the grapes so that you would get a clear juice. In those days, Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris were the two main grapes. They both have uh, coloured skins, and so he ensured that the juice would be clear. However, he did not invent bubbles. That is a myth propagated in the late 19th century to promote uh, Moati Chandon's label. Um, the quote, come quickly, I'm drinking in the stars, is um, completely made up. He did not see bubbles in his wine, or if he did, he did not want them. But anyway, Don Perignon's that name. And this wine, their Prestige Cuvée, was the first Prestige Cuvée to be introduced, released in 1936 
for the first time. And this was an attempt to rescue Champagne from the difficult years of phylloxera, uh, then World War I, and then the Great Depression of the 1930s. And it was successful, re reinforcing that idea of Champagne as a luxury brand to be drunk by the, uh, the rich and people with money made much much more often than it used to be. That's partly because of climate change, which warmer conditions in Champagne mean that getting the grapes fully ripe is much easier than it used to be. And also better techniques in the vineyard and the winery. It receives seven years aging. So a very mature style of wine. Also owned by LVMH is Ruinard. This is the oldest house or oldest merchant in Champagne, established in 1729, at a point where Champagne was beginning to be made with bubbles rather than still. They only own 17 hectares of land, but they make 200,000 cases or more. Uh, so that's a huge discrepancy between the amount of land that they own and the amount of wine that they make. So they really do rely on the growers. Very good brand, elegant and fresh wines, known especially for their rosé, quite a reductive style. And their prestige cuvee is Dom Ruinard. Also in this family, Veuve Clicquot, named after the, the widow who established this winery 200 years ago. Very large production, 1.25 million cases, and 90% of that production is the famous yellow label. And that's the Veuve Clicquot wine that you'll see very commonly. And this is made from a collection of reserve wines, about 35% of yellow label is reserve wines, that date back to 1998. Uh, they also use oak. This is quite a new development. 2008 is when they introduced oak, though it's not particularly noticeable in the style of the wine. Uh, the yellow label is Pinot Noir dominant. Veuve Clicquot's uh, prestige cuvée is La Grande Dame, the, the great lady named after La Veuve Clicquot herself. Moving away from the LVMH family, we have Charles and Piper Idzik. And these uh, wineries have the same surname and they're related to each other. The wines are made in the same building and they do share things in common. They both have a high dosage, uh, 10.5 grams per litre, which is the highest for any of the Grand Marc. But because the acidity is so high, you don't really notice that sugar, so the wines are still very refreshing and acidic. Piper Idzik use four to six year old reserve wine, so it'd be a bit of maturity for their brute. But it's quite fruit forward, 55% Pinot Noir and 30% Meunier, so a fruitier style of Champagne. Charles Idzik, even older wines. For the Brut Reserve, which is one of the best um, Brut wines out there, they use 40% reserve wines with a maturity of between five and 20 years. So very sophisticated wine. High acidity, refreshing, uh, sells for $50, and it's also aged for 50 to 60 months on its lees. So again, adding to that maturity and weight. Fantastic wine. They make 250,000 cases. And Charles Isaac himself was the original Champagne Charlie. That's where that term comes from. Uh, he was there in the 19th century selling wine in the States, marketed himself as Champagne Charlie and became very successful before he was thrown into prison during the Civil War, lost all his money because his merchant ripped him off, and then the brother of the merchant uh, felt sorry, felt guilty, and donated some land that he had in Denver, Colorado, which was then a very small town, and Charles Edith made all his money back as Denver became a very successful uh, mining town. So Charles Isaac has that strong US connection. Their prestige cuvee is now called the Blanc de Millionaire, and again, to emphasize the maturity of Charles Isaac's wines, the 1995 is still on the market and still drinking wonderfully well. 
Another famous producer is Bollinger. They produce 200,000 cases. They own 164 hectares of land, which accounts for 60% of all their needs. They're not as reliant on growers as some of the other producers. Their wines are rich, and they're aged in oak. They have lots and lots of old oak barrels, dating as far back as 110 years old. Pinot Noir dominant, and their style is quite oxidative because it's aged in oak. And that has been a problem where instead of being oxidative, the wines would actually be oxidized. They have, they have changed the bottle shape, in particular for their special cuvee, which is their brut, uh, which has solved the problem. Uh, the special cuvee is an absolutely fantastic wine, and their style is of bruised apple, earthy, spicy, toasty, and long-lived because of that aging. Lots of reserve wine in their special cuvee, 50 to 60 percent, and these wines can be aged in magnums as well as oak. Their top wine is Les Vieilles Vignes Francaises, Old French Vines, and these are from vineyards that date back to the 19th century before Phylloxera. Just two vineyards, there used to be three, but one of them uh, succumbed to Phylloxera, unfortunately. And this is a rich, big, complex wine. Important to note that the vines themselves do not date back to the 19th century, it's the vineyards themselves. And they use the old traditional technique of en foule, which means a crowded vineyard with the high density plantings of 50,000 vines per hectare. And um, these vines are actually kind of um, replanted, they're dug back into the ground, so it's a constant replanting, allowing those vines to keep on um, growing in the phylloxera free vineyard. I've never tried it, really would like to. Louis Roederer, another famous big producer. They also own, own Dutz, which is one of my favourite smaller uh, Grand Marc. Louis Roederer produces elegant pure wines using large oak casks, which results in a little bit of oxidation. Their Brut has 30% malolactic fermentation, but none of their other wines uses malolactic fermentation. So quite unusual. So the wines are more acidic and uh, fresh, not quite as rich. They own 214 hectares of land, which is 70% of their needs, and all the wine they all the land that they own is biodynamic, uh, the other 30% is not. Their most uh, famous wine is Cristal, one of the great wines of the world. This uh, dates back to the 19th century. Louis Roderer, like Veuve Clicquot, made their name in Russia with a sweeter style of champagne. And very popular with Tsar Alexander II. And he commissioned Louis Roderer to make him a wine bottled in crystal. And Louis Roderer made a couple of vintages like that, but obviously extremely impractical to bottle a sparkling wine in crystal. Um, so that was just a, a bit of a gimmick. But when they revived this wine in the 1940s as their prestige cuvee, following Moët Chandon's lead with Dom Perignon, they called it Cristal, but obviously is not, not bottled in crystal. Great wine, people drink it too young. Uh, Lanson is a big producer, which um, I'm not that huge a fan of. 500,000 cases, their most famous label is Black Label, extremely widely available, very, very successful. Lanson have done a very good job of marketing their wines, even if they're not that exciting. They don't use any malolactic fermentation either, and nor do Gosset. Gosset are the oldest producer in Champagne, going back to the 1500s, before Champagne was a sparkling wine. So they're not the oldest uh, merchant, but they are the oldest producer. They're owned by Cointreau. And these wines are very fresh, very crisp, very acidic because of the lack of malolactic fermentation. Very good rosé. And then last but not least is Krug, one of the most prestigious wines in the world. They probably make about 50,000 cases a year, though they do not disclose it, and they own about 21 hectares of land. Very expensive and, and coveted, aged in oak, how it used to be. Up until the 1960s, all champagne was, was aged in oak. Now most wineries use stainless steel, but I'm a 
as I'm a big fan of Bollinger, I do like the use of oak, just adding a bit of richness and creaminess, and those oxidative aromas as well. They don't use any malolactic fermentation. They feel that maintaining the acidity allows the wines to age for a long period of time. Their Grand Cuvée, they don't call non-vintage, they call multi-vintage. It's a blend of 200 different wines from different years. It's a very, very complex and sophisticated. So those are the Champagne producers. Very important because they produce so much wine and are really so strongly associated with the region and the styles of wine. So thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. <laughs>